Welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast. This is episode number 72, Art During Quarantine. Our quote of the day was said by Gerhard Reiter. He said, art is the highest form of hope. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives. Alchemy is the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Whether you are a painter, sculptor, a baker, or a gardener, every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we explore ways we can change both our physical and spiritual selves for the better. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. I am an artist, a painter, and I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach online creativity classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose. When this podcast first started, it was to just share stories about artists that morphed into artist interviews, and now I've expanded the topic of conversation to include ways that anyone can harvest, <laughs> harvest, harness their creative energy. I guess we could harvest it too <laughs> in some ways. All right, so uh, announcements. If you'd like to receive um, the inspiring artwork that I do and updates on my um art projects uh, sent straight to your inbox. What you want to do is visit my website, which is studioalchemy.art and sign up for my art newsletter. I recently created a new free mini lecture called Seven Secrets to Finding Your Creative Voice. And if you want that for free, then you can sign up for my newsletter at studioalchemy.art. Um, Right now, so I'm recording this on January 8th, uh, next week on January 14th, 2021, a new class is starting that I'm doing this an online class. It's called Create Your Visionary Life Plan, a guide to designing the life of your dreams. And what this class is about is um, kind of combining vision boards and um, a strategic life plan that we do in a notebook uh, and we each day of the 14 days of this class you answer one question and you put that in your life plan and then you can add all kinds of different collage materials and things to clarify what it is you want to do with your life and it's kind of a combination of several things that I've been doing every year for the past few years and now I'm putting it all together and I just finished creating all the videos and everything for this class and it really did help me to clarify what I'm going to be doing moving forward um, especially as we come out of the quarantine time you know what's going to be next um, and what am I going to do while we're still in quarantine which is what we're going to talk about today but um, you know I loved putting this class together. I think it's going to be really fun to see what other people do with their life plan. So if that interests you, and um, you can purchase it at any time, but if you purchase it before January 14th, then you can use the promo code EARLYBIRD and get 25% off. So you can find the links to all of that on my website, studioalchemy.art. Okay. So now we are on to our topic of the day, which is art during quarantine. I thought about calling it art during the plague, um, but uh, and we are going to talk about some artists who created work 
during their own quarantine time during the plague times in um, years past. But um, but then I hesitated. I said, well, you know, we really shouldn't call the coronavirus <laughs> the plague because the plague, the bubonic plague is really, really deadly. I mean, this huge numbers of people um, died and there are large numbers of people dying of coronavirus, but um, it's not the same as the plague. So I decided I'm just going to call it art during quarantine. And then that was sort of encompassed so many different things, you know, even when an artist just puts themselves into seclusion, what are the benefits of doing that? So today's topic is about this unique time that we're in right now where we are staying at home, sheltering at home, if you will, as much as possible, and what that does to our lives as artists. Um, there, I definitely see some benefits and some detriments. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, I've seen a lot of things out there on the internet where people are saying like, oh, you know, this is the moment when you can write that great American novel, write the screenplay you've been dying to write, um, do a body of work that is, you know, your magnum opus, your big life work, and that this is a great time to do it because while you're not busy doing all these things gallivanting around all about town, so you can focus and get some big masterpiece type stuff done. <laughs> and I think that definitely that's a wonderful, worthy goal. And I myself have decided, um, so <laughs> this past summer, as I've talked about on other episodes, I was super sick and it was really hard to even just get the motivation to do my dishes and stuff, just regular everyday things, let alone a masterpiece. And I I thought this to myself, oh, this is a great moment to really do the big stuff. And and yet I was too sick to, to do it. I didn't have the energy to do it. And then I've also had friends who've said, I just don't feel like doing artwork right now. Um, and and they aren't sick, but they're just, you know, they're, they're at home and it's just, they're not, not motivated. Um, and I sincerely hope that, you know, that's not being driven by depression from all of this, but rather just embracing the quiet. And, you know, there's times in life when we, when we're quiet, and we, we embrace inaction, and then there's times when we take action. Um, and those two opposites, inaction and action, are both worthy. <laughs> uh, they both have their time and their place. And for those of you who might be embracing that, just like, oh, I'm just not going to get any of the goals done. I'm just going to rest right now and read a crappy romance novel or whatever the heck it is that to you is just, <laughs> you know, or watching a lot of TV, um, whatever. Like it's, it's, that it can be okay to do that for a while. Um, I don't want to put like a ton of pressure on myself, like make the masterpiece right now. Like if you don't come out of the other side of this, having done some big, great big thing, then, you know, oh, that's not good. Or, you know, I don't want to put pressure on it and then, and then have, 
it be so that I'm creating artwork that's not authentic or or whatever. But I did decide, now that I'm feeling so much better and I've got the next couple months before spring and I can get out in the garden and do other physical activities, I'm going to take the next month or two and make my studio a work of art, meaning that I'm going to paint on all the doors I'm going to uh, put poetry on the beams and add to the decorative art within my studio space so that when people come in the future to visit, it's like they're getting this rich experience um, where the things on the walls are really saying like that big, you know, magnum opus, like there's it's saying what I want to say with all of my artwork but but in a a big format you know when you can really make murals on the walls and you can just do bigger stuff and it's permanent within that space it has a different feel and I've looked at a lot of artwork that's um uh like the the Charleston house in um England where um the folks they painted murals on all the walls there um you know i've been looking at artists who have used their homes as a, a template for for their artwork and so i'm really excited to do this project now but i have found myself <laughs> like i started on one of the doors and i did this painting of a fish on it and then i was like oh, no i don't like it and then i did these flowers with a skull and i thought well that's you know that's I love that life and death and that juxtaposition and and how you know death is pushing us to be more alive and so I but it just it ended up feeling like a bad tattoo to me so I wiped that out so this door I'm about to paint again for the third time (laughs) and I think part of it's that I've put this pressure on myself to like create the masterpiece and I I, you know it's got to you got to loosen up a little bit to be able to have fun with it so that it doesn't get too heavy. Um, And there have been lots of articles out there where people have been talking about certain artists and so on who did great things while um, in their own quarantine time. So for example, Sir Isaac Newton, not an artist, but a scientist, during the plague of 1665, he quarantined at his house out in the country, and during that time of solitude, he invented calculus, he created his theories on gravity and the science of motion. Like He wrote all this um, innovative breakthrough stuff during that time of seclusion. Um, and then, of course, there's Shakespeare. People love talking about how Shakespeare wrote a lot during the plague times and you know Shakespeare also references the plague a number of times in in many of his in many of his plays at one of them King Lear he says tis the times plague when madmen lead the blind um and I thought that was really interesting because you know we think about the past year and all the social upheaval and people being so stressed because of our own coronavirus that's going around and then Shakespeare's saying with this tis the times plague when madmen lead the blind he's saying when plague is out there when illness is out there that's so um threatening 
madmen can lead everybody astray because they're so stressed. I thought that was a really interesting quote. So Shakespeare, during Shakespeare's time, they had figured out that the plague was spread by people congregating together. So they would close the theaters if there was an outbreak. Um, they did not close churches. I learned this. <laughs> I thought this was really interesting. Um, and they, they, there were even some folks who said, well, you can't catch the plague at church. That's just, that's impossible because they wanted to believe that they couldn't, they couldn't catch it at church. Um, but, you know, the theaters closed, the Globe in London closed, which, you, by the way, you can go to London and, and see a show in the recreated Globe Theater. Okay, so Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a time when he was sequestered for plague times and the, the theater couldn't happen at all. And he also wrote a lot of his poetry, which I think is interesting because you know, he can't do the theater stuff, so then he just sort of redirects and starts focusing on the poetry. And I think there's certainly a, there's a lot of folks who are modifying their artwork in different ways to, to work during this time. So for example, you know, um, a musician who usually does a live show every Friday night at the, you know, local jazz bar or whatever, can't do that. But then some of them are you know, investing in their own recording equipment and doing it more at home, um, or just 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 adapting. Um, I think we're all adapting to a certain extent, and that's interesting to see the ways in which artists have adapted. You know, sometimes if you used to work big, now well, you might as well work small because you can do it at your little desk at home. You know, there's you got to be flexible, <laughs> right? So, but um, I did have one professor in college who had this theory that Shakespeare was able to write so proficiently or pro prolifically. He wrote so much, not because of plague, like he's, he's just sitting at home and he can't do anything else, but rather because after Queen Elizabeth helped defeat the Spanish Armada and peace was brought to England, that then there could be this flourishing of of artistic um, literature and writing and the arts. And, and he speculated that it's during times of peace <laughs> that then, you know, artists feel comfortable enough and probably have enough wealth, enough patrons to be able to create big works of art instead of just, well, they're just surviving right now. So it's kind of a a different take on it. Um, I certainly think that for myself, like I can create more artwork when I feel like my life is stable, that I have enough money to buy some art supplies. I think in the coming years, it's going to be a little hard because I, I anticipate that the, all of this coronavirus stuff is going to really affect our economy and people aren't going to be doing things like buying original pieces of artwork as much as they did before. Every time there's a little downturn in the economy, I've felt it with my sales at art fairs and stuff, and I think this one's going to be pretty bad. It might affect us for years. If you're producing artwork just to sell it, then it's hard to get motivated for that right now when there's no art fairs happening. And even when they do open back up, their sales might be bad. It's so 
one of the questions that I think that is interesting to pose, and you can all ask yourself this, is when you create your artwork, why are you doing it? And if you have felt, as many of my friends have, just, I don't want to create artwork right now. I'm just not motivated. Well, what is what does that say about you and your artwork and the motivation, the real reason why you're creating in the first place? So if you are creating it to be a livelihood and um, for sales, and then the sales just aren't going to happen right now, the art fairs aren't happening, then yeah, that's that's the reason you're doing it and why do it when you think that's not going to be working out in the short term that makes sense what what if you're you're making the artwork to share the story of of your life or share the things that you value share the the images that you find sacred that you want to celebrate in life can you do that through just sharing your artwork on social media? Um, perhaps. So, you know, maybe the, f- the folks who have different reasons for creating artwork, and I don't think that there's any wrong reason to create artwork. If you enjoy it or it works for you for whatever reason, it doesn't really matter. So I'm not making a value judgment, but just notice within yourself, you know, why is it you're motivated to do it at all? And if you've been affected by this time of quiet and not being able to do as much out in the world with your artwork um, and socially, just like, why is that? Is it because of your real reason for doing it? Um, I have certainly had some friends who they, they would come to my painting club for social reasons so they'd get together and they they paint um with the friends who are also in that class and like so it's socially it's fun and so that's another reason to create artwork because you're doing projects together with other people well if you can't do that right now well then you're not motivated so take note of yourself and why you have or have not been motivated to create artwork right now or if you've just been doing it differently and I know I've noticed some people seem to be doing the same output and same same old same old and just keep on trucking but um (sighs) I I also have to wonder at people's um you know I I, I'm concerned that you know without talking to each other and without that support of the art community when you go out and you do shows together and you you go to paint outs together and you this shared experience where the community that we support each other through the arts like it's without that it's like are people losing motivation then I hate to think that you know because we we all want to support each other and celebrate the different work that we are doing, right? So um, some other thoughts about this. I noticed that I looked up the word recluse, okay? And a recluse is somebody who chooses to live in seclusion from society. And then there's a hermit. And a hermit, um, I didn't realize this, but it's more of a religious seclusion. So they're choosing to, to live a life away from the rest of society for religious reasons or just recluse they just want to so for example emily dickinson 
secluded herself in her house, refused to see very many people, was not social at all, and wrote a lot of her poetry, um, shared it with a few people, but not much. It was after she died that they discovered this, you know, desk full of poetry. And I think that's really interesting because you look at someone like Emily Dickinson um, or like Thoreau, who wrote Rawdon Pond and secluded himself on the pond um, to write that piece, or Edward Monk, he was a recluse the last 20 years of his life. You look at folks like this who are, they're choosing not because of a plague or coronavirus or any of those things, they are choosing to live in seclusion partially to focus on the work that they want to create. And and I, I just, I find that fascinating partially because it's not what I would choose. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm thinking, why would you want to just be by yourself all the time? Perhaps for some people, there's a comfort in that. They don't have to worry about, they don't have to have social anxiety. They might say the wrong thing if they're in in the company of other people. Um, they can just do their own thing. And if it works for you, it works for you. I wonder how, at the end of this, people might ev- either gravitate toward being more in seclusion or the opposite. I'm imagining that, you know, we're definitely going to get some roaring 20s going on where people are just and about and like going wild because they've been pent up for a year or two just inside um, by themselves and it'll be interesting to see how different people react to going back out in the world as we have more and more of the vaccine available right so and then um, I looked at the lives of two different two different religious figures who also put themselves in seclusion, but for different reasons. So for example, St. Teresa of Lisieux, she wrote some beautiful, very ecstatic writing, and, and she did not live long. So she, she only lived to what age, 24 or 25 or something like this, and she died of tuberculosis. So the last few years of her life, she's a nun living in a convent, but she couldn't do much. She was very sickly. Um, and she wrote this, and listen to this quote, love proves itself by deeds. So how am I to show love? She, she's saying, I'm proving my love to the world and the people around me by deeds, by doing stuff. But how can she show love when she can't go out and do stuff? Then she says, great deeds are forbidden to me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least actions for love. So what she's saying, she's saying, I'm sick, I can't go out and do stuff, but I can scatter flowers by my own sacrifices and by my words. So she wrote a lot. So she's probably, I think, altering her actions. She would have been, she would have been more active in the community and doing with the you know physical body but she can't so then she's she's saying okay i'm going to redirect my energy to writing also just knowing that my own sacrifices are 
are the way I can show my love. <laughs> I just think this is beautifully written, and I, th- I think it's something that we can apply to what's going on today. And then the last person I want to talk about is a woman whose name was Juta. Now, you've probably heard of Hildegard of Bingen. Hildegard of Bingen was a nun who um, was very, very famous because, um, and she lived during, what, the 1100s, something like that. Um, But she wrote songs, she wrote poetry, she um, did a lot of botanical and medical texts, so she she was an expert in medicine for her time and um and she really did a lot of creative and beautiful work and she ran her nunnery but before that before she did all this stuff that for which she is now famous she started off life entering a convent in when she was like eight years old or something like that and they put her in seclusion with this woman whose name was Juta. And Juta was an anchoress. And what that means is that Juta had walled herself into one room and there was just a tiny window where you could pass food back and forth to Juta. And this was seen by Juta as the ultimate religious sacrifice to put wall herself into a room she's never coming out of the room and she can just be penitent and pray and 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 all of that within that seclusion and she was also um due to was really into the self-flagellation and stuff so she would you know hit herself with chains and and was constantly wounding herself and she did not live long okay under these conditions and what she was doing to herself and then hildegard once juta died um and i think it was like 6 7 years or something like that that hildegard was in this enclosed space with Juta, not walled in, but like, you know, she's she's her assistant basically and getting things for her. Um, Juta did teach Hildegard like how to uh, read <laughs> and write and how to um, play a musical instrument somehow. And then Hildegard comes out of this time when Juta has finally died of all this um, that she's done to herself, and she does not choose that life of seclusion. She chooses to um, be very active in the community, to take a leadership role in her community, to write poems, songs that are being sung together in the choir, and and to and to and to help people through her work with medicine. And she's really she's just she's out and about and doing. Um, and I think that's really interesting because, I mean, on one level, it's just a fundamental religious belief difference that you have between Juta and Hildegard of Bingen. They're both obviously Catholics. They're, co- they're coming from the same religious organizations. And yet one had this idea that the ultimate was to seclude themselves and to not participate in society. And then the other chooses to do the opposite. 
and I think, and it's, I'm not saying that either is right or wrong. It's just interesting and shows a lot about perhaps their personalities, but not just that, their belief in the impact that they can do with the life that they've been given. And for myself, I can say that I believe you have all this energy. You've got your life is pulsing through you. And those of us who are artists, we want to pulse with that life. We want to take action and do and, and make our world <laughs> what we want to see, right? And certainly for myself, I want to share and celebrate the sacred through my artwork and through my working with other people and that um, I couldn't do that if I was entirely by myself. I've certainly been thankful often that we can, even if it's not in person and it's not quite as supportive emotionally as being in person, we can do the um, social media stuff right now. We can still be in contact with each other and be learning from each other and influencing each other in positive ways. <sighs> so... Back to our quote of the day. Gerhard Reiter said, art is the highest form of hope. I do believe that's true. I mean, certainly when I am creating a piece of artwork, I'm, I'm about to start one and it's, it's, I'm hopeful, I'm energetic, I'm, I, I've, there's a drive behind it that is the opposite of depression, right? It's, it's uplifting. And certainly it's hard to create those new things if you're coming from a down place. And that when I look at other people's artwork, it gives me hope. It gives me that spark of life and, you know, puts a fire under my butt to even just appreciate what I'm looking at when I look at another person's beautiful work of art. It's, it gives me that spark of life. So, um, think about that yourself. Is art the highest form of hope? How have you felt during this time, this quiet time, if you will, this time of quarantine? And I hope that you are all feeling uplifted, that you are hopeful for the future, that you are thinking creatively about how to do your artwork and express yourself in whatever way and form that may be, whether it's through cooking or writing or painting or whatever. Um, I hope that you are all in a good place and um, are ready to move forward. One of the things that, you know, that my life plan, you know, doing the visionary life plan um, brought up is this question of, well, how can we plan when we don't know exactly what's going to happen? You know, um, how can I plan what art projects or teaching projects or whatever I'm going to do if I don't know whether I'm going to get the vaccine in a month or six months or a year or what's going to, like, I, I don't know how that's all going to shake down. And 
how long it'll continue. But still, I do think it's good to have ideals and it's good to figure out what you want because if you figure out what you want, (laughs) then it's 10 times more likely to happen. If you get clear, if you say, yes, I want to create a mural that uh, is going to have all the wildflowers of my region on it and I'm going to do it somewhere in my state or whatever. Like th- This is one of my many, 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 many ideas of projects that I'd like to do. If I said, that's my number one priority, that's the one thing I want to do right now, then, okay, I can start writing down the steps. I can start taking the action to move forward with that. Even if it can't happen yet, I can be in the motion toward it. It's this way that we move forward. (laughs) All right, so this concludes the Alchemy of Art podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.